This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. So when you're talking about these three generations, were those natural diamonds or those were also man-made? Or t- tell us a little bit about what all of that means, those of us who don't know. Uh, they were all diamonds. Uh, with the FTC regulation, uh, today there is nothing like natural diamonds. The word natural has been removed. Hmm. So all the three generations until recently, uh, we've been in mind diamonds, diamonds that are unearthed from, like, you know, mined from the earth, uh, and man-made, which is created diamonds, uh, we've had in the marketplace for the last two years. Only two. So, so before, okay, so mine diamonds, like what do they look like when they're in the dirt? Do they look, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> what, what does that look like? What's that process like? Mm-hmm. Uh, mine diamonds uh, will look like a, Oh, like a marble, like a white piece of almost, you would say, uh, sugar mm. that's not polished when it's absolutely excavated from the earth. And then the artisans actually polish, putting faceting to, uh, mm. to the wheels and bring out the refraction from the crystal, mm. which is when, you know, when you have it in a store and you have a ring on your finger and you move it left to right, mm-hmm. Light goes in, and you see that beautiful sparkle. Yeah. Okay, so those uh, are mine diamonds, and now what's a man-made diamond then? Right. How is it man-made? In what sense? A created diamond is basically born from a diamond. So the very first diamonds we created are actually grown from a thin sliver of a mine diamond. Uh, think of it like as thin as a hair. And it looks uh, or feels like a wafer. And if you put this it's wafer in a proprietary reactor, we raise the temperature in the mid-2000 Fahrenheit range mm-hmm. and pump in a combination of gases. Now, if I ask somebody to visualize it, think of it like Star Trek <laughs> when they close the chamber. <laughs> and gases came in mm-hmm. and he would disappear. Well, here... The difference is mm-hmm. that the carbon from the gases start bonding mm. with the seed, and the crisp, uh, diamond crystal starts growing. Interesting. This diamond crystal, at a certain size, is then removed from the chamber, which is a created diamond rough, just like you know when we said when it comes from the mm-hmm. earth. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is then cut and polished into a beautiful diamond. So. Are these man-made diamonds then less expensive? Yeah, because I was thinking, like, is this process faster? So then, it, you know, there is a, there's some sort of cost efficiency, like Barbara's saying, or what? Actually, so one part that I would like to add is that created diamonds are everything that a mine diamond is, only better. Oh. Because all ultra-created diamonds are actually type 2A diamonds. This is something very unique that most people have never heard of. Like, what is a type 2A diamond? Right. What is Type it? Actually, a diamond, it's less than 2% of the world's diamonds. It is the purest diamond crystal found in Earth. So if you're referring to a diamond, the Kohinoor, the, you know, the Richard Burton diamond that he gave to Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. That, those were all typed to a diamond. They're the purest diamond crystal. Every ultra-created diamond is actually type 2A. So then they're more expensive than mine diamonds? They're a better value. 
a consumer would get almost a 50% larger diamond than they would for the same money in a mined diamond. Wow, that must so, play havoc with the diamond business. Uh, well, that's why you have me here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you this, Amish. So, this is when how, is this technology? Of, is this your technology? Is this proprietary? Do you own the process to do this, or is this something that is you know part of the competitive environment for all folks who make diamonds? No, the technology by which we grow is proprietary. Uh, the core of how a diamond is grown actually was from 1951 when General Electric and Union Carbide actually really first synthesized diamonds. Mm. So that's where it started from. For It took 60 years and uh, basically refining and working on the technology to come to a point to define a proprietary process. Mm-hmm. To grow a beautiful alter-created diamond. But just to be just to be clear, just for clarification with our viewers, these diamonds are not more expensive, but you get bigger diamonds for the same money. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Because I didn't quite understand whether yes, or not. Actually, so you actually get a fifty percent larger diamond for the same money. Oh, I see. Now, and I read when I was looking at this that De Beers, which is probably the most well-known name in diamonds. I think uh, you could disagree, but um, they can, they have their own proprietary process to create these diamonds as well. Is that true? Or are they different than yours or? Uh, They have a process of creating diamonds too, because, you know, they've been in the business for a long time and they used to be in the industrial uh, diamond and now entering into the gem quality diamonds Uh, from, they have made an announcement about two months ago uh, though nothing has been delivered to the market as yet. Mm. And what I read is they're going to do it under a different brand name. They're not going to do it under the De Beers name. Hmm. Yes, that's uh, right. Wow. Interesting. So to me, that suggests that they want to make a distinction between these two brands. And I, when I read that, not knowing much about this, it, I thought it was... Because like what I read, and you can tell me if this is right also, that... that um, they try to limit the amount of production of diamonds to keep the price higher oh. um, at some point. And I think De Beers was behind some of that. And so if they're going into this other type of diamond or diamond creation, um, I-, I would imagine they want to try to keep their price premiums on their original De Beers diamonds or Tiffany diamonds. or any- How is that going to... Are you in the business of disrupting this diamond business? Uh I am disrupting, I'm working to disrupt the entire thought process here. Uh, you know, diamonds have always, exactly how you said that, it's been a very controlled product that has come to the marketplace for years. Uh, well, it's not 1950s today, this is 2018. Is what we're bringing to the consumers today, we don't even have middlemen, you know? We are the only vertically aligned house that is growing the diamonds, cutting and polishing and creating beautiful jewelry that we bring to the consumer through our retailers. So number one, we don't have the typical 11 hands. Right, so that's the definition of a disruptor. Yeah. (laughs) Cutting margin. And the other side, so the winner here is the consumer. The consumer is the one who's getting the bigger 
and more beautiful diamond. Now let me ask you this. Uh, let me ask you this. Let me jump in, Amish, because this you're touching mm-hmm. on a really important point that Barbara uh, has kind of teed up here, and that's the notion. And you mentioned this notion of the consumer. It seems to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, that the average consumer doesn't understand all these nuances about, well, this is the man-made diamond, this is the mine diamond, and here's how it's better, and, and all of these kind of technical, almost scientific kinds of details. So how do you communicate? What's the, what's the strategy? Do you try to communicate this to the consumer? And, and, and if so, how do you do that? How do you, how do you communicate to them what you believe is your unique selling proposition for a man-made diamond? Absolutely. I, what we've done is that the diamond industry has very little educated the consumer over years of what their choices are. Aren't there six C's of a diamond? Uh, four C's. Oh, four C's. Barbara, <laughs> yeah, four P's. Four C's. <laughs> yes. Yeah. See, but what we have always, but that's why the education of the consumer is limited to what the salesperson tells them, typically, you know? Mm-hmm. What we have done is taken a very strong initiative of educating our salespeople in the stores mm. who very simply further let the consumer know that a created diamond is a real diamond mm-hmm. that is grown above the earth. Physically, chemically, and optically, they're the same diamond, mm-hmm. and the choice is there. And with that choice, that choice being to, to choose between a mine diamond versus a man-made diamond, Amish. Absolutely. Okay. And you'll be surprised that when the consumer is given transparency and clarity about their choice, they make a decision far easier. Today, when a consumer goes to a retailer that carries Alter Created, The consumer is not put through the whole process of having to go through or look through a microscope, look through this, Mm -hmm. because we're using so many tools aligned with technology that they can comfortably and confidently, most important, Mm. make a decision. And Alter Created, that is your brand name? Yes, Alter is us. Alter is our brand. So, and you sell direct to the end user. You don't sell in, um, like you wouldn't sell in a, in a jewelry store or? No, we sell through the jewelry store. Oh, you we do sell. sell? directly to consumers. Okay. What we do is we sell through retailers. Like uh, we have respectable retailers in the United States, like Hellsberg Diamonds. Mm. We have Borsheim's, which is the largest freestone, uh, sorry, freestanding store in America, both Berkshire Hathaway companies. So we work with very respectable retailers that believe in education and choice for the consumer. So, like, when I looked at um, diamonds at Costco, I understood, except four C's, I guess that's what it is. But apparently, Costco tried to make this price-quality comparison easier to parse by talking about these scales on these C's. The C's are like color, cut. Clarity, Clarity yeah. and carrot, I guess. And yeah. those those all can be kind of put on a scale. And then you would, for example, the easy one is carrots. You would pay more for a larger... Um, or, but the color, I guess, I don't. that takes more sophistication, what's a good color or not color. But apparently there's some... Some colors are cost more. Clarity, I would imagine. That's what you were talking about, it seems like, earlier. Clear, The clearer, the better, I guess, right? So, see, that's the beauty. Both are diamonds. You know, when you look at a mine diamond or a created diamond, so the four C's stay intact, 
And every alter-created diamond follows all the four things. So we're not confusing the consumer. We're actually giving them more clarity in terms of understanding it by giving them the information by tools hmm. that are easy for them to understand. So can you, back to America's question, can you give us some price, like what's a one carat or a clear? Right. Or a color? How do all those, what are, what are we talking about numbers here? So a beautiful one carat VS, uh, which is very slightly included, like almost microscopic clean diamond, you know, one carat would be forty two ninety nine at a Hildeberg diamond store. That's the retail price. That would be retail. Now And that's and that's the purchase, that's the man made one? Yeah, that's the ultra created one. Okay. Now for the same exact price, you would almost be struggling to buy a similar quality for a 0.7 carat diamond oh, if it I was see. mine. Gotcha, 0.7, I see, I see. And so, so, but that's that's fascinating though because for the same price you get more. But let me ask you, yeah. if, if you put the, the man-made diamond and the mine diamond in front, the two diamonds, can an expert tell the difference? Can an expert look at them and say, oh, well, this is the man-made one or this is the, this is the uh, mined one? No. no. Until you use sophisticated equipment, they're both diamonds. It is not possible hmm. to tell the difference between a mined or a created diamond. Wow. Well, they're both real diamonds. Mm-hmm. We can't forget that. Mm-hmm. So some of the marketing magic in this diamond business is going to come in the setting or the jewelry or like, you know, the champagne they sell, that give you at Tiffany's or something, right? I mean, you're going to see different price points on all of this, but it's going to be something different than the stone itself. See, the marketing magic in this is the size. One thing where Alter's core marketing focuses that... You know, we have traditionally always heard about diamonds being this, you know, diamond sparkle. What we forget is that she is the one that sparkles. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my heart just warmed. That was very beautiful. It sounded like a great commercial there, Amish. That was a fantastic and, But friend. that's exactly the part that, you know, alter, like created diamonds are all that a diamond can be, only better. <gasps> because when she gets the opportunity to wear a diamond that she desires for the inside. You know, when you really, if you ask, if you took a focus group study and you ask girls who purchased diamonds or, you know, were, during the engagement, they were, she always compromised on the size she really wanted. Mm. Interesting. That's an interesting insight. Opportunity. So your, your whole marketing play... Your whole marketing play, the way you're positioning it, and you've stuck to this as much as we've tried to push you in other directions, is basically on size. Mm-hmm. So you're saying you have very top quality diamonds and you get more for your money, mm-hmm. essentially. More diamond. Larger diamond, more beautiful, and the impact it has on her. Interesting. And how, what, how big is the engagement ring market part of diamonds. Mm. I mean, people buy diamonds for men even, but for other things. Uh, are you mostly in the engagement ring market? Uh, 85% of our revenue is engagement diamonds. Interesting. Mm. 
And let me ask you this, I mean, we're running up on time here, but so the marketing plan you mentioned was a big push was inside the store where there's a direct one-to-one uh, communication between the salespeople and the end consumer. Uh, what are some of the other things that you're doing too? Because it seems like you'd have to get the word out. You need to brand this, you know, that's what you're doing. You need to Absolutely. brand this, this type of diamond. What other things are you doing in addition to that? I think, uh, so the few uh, initiatives we're taking is, one is very strongly, we've had excellent support from uh, media who's consistently educating the consumers. You'll see articles every other day from Forbes to Financial Times to, at that business level. And the consumer media is starting to talk about this in a big way. Mm. The other side, we're working with retailers to do events to bring consumers in the stores to actually give them the opportunity to see this choice. Uh, We're still a family-owned company. We're not a corporate or a major house. So marketing is still done in a little more different way. I would say more guerrilla marketing Mm. uh, than the traditional marketing. And lastly is the salespeople are the biggest tools in the jewelry industry. And when they are empowered with the knowledge to present this choice to the consumer, they are closing sales every single day. Wow. Wow. One interesting story. I didn't expect it to be this interesting. Wow, it's pretty cool. Amisha, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for your time, Barbara. Thank you, Marcus. You're very welcome. And, uh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to learn more about Amish, you can go to www.alter, which is A-L-T-R dot N-Y-C, New York City. Mm. www.alter, A-L-T-R dot N-Y-C. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.